Beyond Infinity. Let's uh, cross now to COVID-19 reporter Piers Cunningham, waiting patiently to join us again as he does every week. Piers, welcome once again to Peninsula Talks. Good morning, Brendan. Piers, I don't know about you, but uh, it looks to me like we're getting a little bit of a spike here in Victoria. Are we alarmed? Are we concerned? Oh, look, I think it would be wise to be alert and, and aware, not necessarily concerned or alarmed, I guess. Case numbers are trending up a little bit, so... On the 15th of May, we were on taken, and I think perhaps you were as well, Piers, by an article which appeared in the New York Times this last week, which contrasted Australia's reaction to COVID-19 and that of the USA. It was a very interesting article because it was quoting sort of similar demographics and some issues, but it was a, it was a contrast which certainly painted Australia in a very much more favourable light than our brothers and sisters in the USA. Yeah, well, I think it's come about partly because America's about to cross the very sad milestone of one million COVID deaths, um, which is uh, actually puts it at the sort of official number one spot in the world, and that's compared with you know, third world countries, second world countries, first world countries. Uh, second is Brazil. So, so at the moment, the US is on 999,000 COVID deaths. Brazil's on 665,000, India 524,000, Russia 370,000. And well down that list is Australia with about 7,500, which, um, in fact, 7,872. Now, that's off 6.7 million cases. And I was just checking some of these comparative figures of of case numbers and deaths uh, around the world. And... Compared with Canada, which has got a slightly bigger population than Australia, but kind of a comparable country in many ways, it actually had nearly double the official cases of COVID, but less than a quarter of COVID deaths. So even even compared with Canada, Australia seems to have done very well in terms of the death count from COVID. This, of course, was the thrust of the article as well, wasn't it? That basically it seemed like the government, and again, it had its fans over in the USA, that we're talking federal government now, seemed to get on it very, very early. They seemed to be very complimentary about the intervention of Greg Hunt and also then the intervention of the medical brains in this country that they were able to rely on and they shut the place down very, very quickly as opposed to what was happening in the USA. Yeah, so it, it does talk about that. One of the things that it really highlights as a, as a sort of fundamental difference between the response and the way that that, that response worked on all levels, government, medical, scientific community, was trust. So where America lacked trust, Australians displayed trust in in government, in institutions, in community leaders, in their neighbours, in their friends and family, in science, in the medical profession, in vaccines later when they became available, in health directives, things like mask wearing, social distancing, and even restrictions, which Melbournians, unfortunately, are well aware of. And, and these were kind of 
kind of restrictions that, I mean, I remember speaking to Americans during those lockdowns and they couldn't believe what we were going through. You know, the 5K rule, the ring of steel, playgrounds being closed to kids and that being enforced rather uncomfortably by police. You know, it really was another world in terms of restrictions and yet people copped it. People, people bore that imposition in their normal lives and it did save lives. But I think also that, that New York Times article, which you know, listeners might want to check out for themselves, it didn't go into some of the social consequences which flowed from those very heavy restrictions that, you know, the longest lockdown of any, you know, city in the world on a cumulative basis in Melbourne, you know, the social consequences of the, the mental health, the loss of education, the irreplaceable loss, loss of children's education. Um, and and, and uh, obviously economic damage, which we're still feeling. Indeed, but it's also very interesting, just sort of scanning some of the headlines, uh, knowing that I was going to be speaking to you today as well, that New York health officials this week, as of yesterday, have now put the city back on high COVID alert as well. They're now copying 3,500 daily cases, and they reckon that once again, it looks like their infrastructure, their medical infrastructure, could once again be threatened by these numbers that are presenting. So USA just hasn't shaken it off yet. Yeah, look, I don't think anywhere has. I mean, there's these new variants, there's the, the sub-variants of Omicron, there's the possibility that we will have uh, a new variant emerge from somewhere in the world. And, and when you have these high case numbers, this is the problem. That's when you've got the greater chance of mutations occurring. You know, you need, you, you need people who, who've got the, uh, uh, got the virus to, uh, to allow the, the mutations to take place uh, in their bodies while the virus is multiplying. Um, so, so, you know, I don't think anywhere is out of the, out of the woods. You know, obviously, one big thing which, which makes a difference is Americans are far less vaccinated on a percentage base, per capita base, than Australians are. And again, that comes back to trust. There was a lot of, you know, lack of trust in, in vaccines. There was a lot of misinformation that was perhaps Americans were more susceptible to swallowing than Australians were. Yeah, you're absolutely right about these uh, variants of COVID-19 as well because of what was said in the past and the South Africans again confirming this week the two new Omicron sub-variants are now at work in that country. And the other interesting headline as well this week, North Korea, I mean, usually it is behind its uh, wall of steel, but according to reports out of there, of course, they had very little, if any, COVID-19 after they went into lockdown. Apparently last week they had some 400,000 cases just suddenly blew out of nowhere, don't quite know why and now today according to the latest reports that's jumped to 1.5 million so i would suggest that mr kim jong-un has got his uh, hands full with a real covid crisis in north korea as well yeah and i think that those there's plenty of countries that have underreported deliberately underreported or just failed to you know they, it hasn't suited them to reveal the true extent of the virus in their countries i think china would be an obvious one to add to the to the list with north korea but, but even countries like india I don't think that figure of 520,000-odd deaths, 524,000 deaths, very sad death toll and very considerable death toll in a country of more than a billion people. But the way that people live in reality and the the access to health services, I think it's it's, it's very conceivable that that number is much higher, as you're suggesting, probably was always the case in somewhere like North Korea. But, you know, going back to the differences in that New York Times article, they are kind of comparable countries. They're liberal democracies, obviously very different populations, but they're both highly urbanised. They have a similar, about 85% of the population living in big cities, which makes them more vulnerable than than more uh, more, um, uh, rural-based populations around the world because you've got high-density living. Other things that that are big factors, you know, we had a, a, a 
far more comprehensive response from the health system. Uh, PPE was made available much more quickly. There weren't shortages. I mean, they were sort of horse trading. There were, were sort of apparently, um, you know, meetings in car parks to, to exchange truckloads of PPE between states, you know, done sort of on the fly because they were literally every man for himself. There was no proper regulation or coordination of the supply of PPE. Every state was literally left to fend for themselves and sort of literally try to outbid their neighbours to get hold of masks and sanitisation equipment and safe suits for medical uh, people to wear in hospitals, all that sort of stuff was distributed in a very haphazard way. So that had an impact. They don't have Medicare. There's a lot of people who are uninsured who didn't have access to health authorities and hospitals and, and medical care in the way that Australians did. They don't have a pharmaceutical benefit scheme. And I think this has been widely acknowledged that, that, that Australians overall are a healthier community and the healthier you are to something like COVID, the, the, the better your chances are. We know comorbidities and pre-existing health conditions make people far more vulnerable. So you know, those are all factors that, that also made a difference. But I think it, it is interesting that, that trust in the system, in, in people around you, that turned out to be a, a very, very important factor as well. Yes, it's a fascinating article, and uh, if you can, get hold of it. Just check it out. Uh, just do look at the comparison uh, in this article in the New York Times between Australia and the USA. Quite fascinating. The insights are quite meaningful as well, I think, given the amount of flack that uh, the feds did get in that initial uh, response to COVID. But now it looks like um, the Americans are celebrating the Australian government's reaction. Quite interesting indeed. Piers Cunningham, it is always fascinating to talk to you. We thank you very much indeed for your time, your effort, and your investment in the program, Piers. We hopefully will be able to book you for the same time next week. That sounds great, Brendan. Adios. Thank you very much indeed. Piers Cunningham, our special COVID-19 reporter here on RWPS. 